My name's Joanne Averson, and you are so welcome to Series 3 of my podcast. Enjoy. Well, hello, everybody. I am absolutely delighted. I have my dear friend and colleague, Christine Wuschke. Is that how I pronounce your name? That's correct. Yeah. So excited. (laughs) Myofascial Yoga Institute of Canada. And Christine and I have had, well, so many conversations, I can't even count them. And we've met in person on several occasions, once in Canada and also in Edinburgh when we did a dissection program together. And it's an absolute delight of mine that I also get to teach for Christine's school, which is a privilege, I have to say. Yeah. And I want to start this off with the wonderful tone of collaboration that I really think, Christine, you embody. And it's something that I I treasure very, very deeply. And I'm, I'm going to share a little story with everybody before we get started, just so they really get where we're coming from. And that is, I know I was due in the last month to teach alongside our beloved Carol Davis Mm -hmm. on your course. And one of us was doing Saturday and one of us was doing Sunday. And a few things came up for me whereby I had to write to you on the Saturday morning and let you know that I couldn't make the Sunday evening, my time, morning yours. Mm-hmm. And I was incredibly nervous about even writing that because you know me, I'm a person who keeps my word and doesn't like letting anyone down, but I really had to take care of myself and it was a little bit beyond my immediate control. So very reluctantly, I wrote to you and I was absolutely stunned, not because I'm surprised at your kindness, but because in a professional world, and it was a professional arrangement, I'm not sure how many of us get the kind of response that you gave me. And that was, love you, love that you're taking care of you. (laughs) It was a real heartfelt response. It was so quick. You hadn't even got time to think of it. It was just your default put her mind at rest, make it all okay. And afterwards, when we talked about it, you felt actually that it worked out for the highest good of all concerned anyway. Yeah. And you were so (laughs) fast to say that to me and we've reorganized things into a pattern that will flow, I think, much better anyway. I'm agreeing with you. But I wanted to share that so that for me, Christine, it was such an example of the living integrity that you bring to your classes and that you bring to the people you work with and that you embody because you do trauma work. I know you're an advanced Hakomi practitioner as well as a yoga teacher and practitioner, as well as a structural integrator (laughs) in um, the Barnes method, isn't it, that you've done? Yeah, the Barnes method, yeah. yeah. And your knowledge is wide, but your spiritual practice and your way of integrating the teachings is really beautiful. So I want to make this a public thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, I want everybody out there to appreciate that because it really, it's a big deal. And what I wanted wanted to invite you to talk about was perhaps the way you teach anatomy which I think is unique. I know you. I have a contribution and Carol and various other people. Um, and I'd just love you to share a little bit about your philosophy because I know it's so heart-centered and I think yeah. that makes an enormous difference. 
And are you just to clarify, you mean you, you want me to walk you through my museum analogy? I love it. If you don't mind sharing it, I just think it's beautiful. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> and what, well, how did it come about? Because it's your about? idea and it's it's utterly brilliant. And I, I, I quote you sometimes, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> you don't have to go into all the detail, but I just love the way you see it. Well, I was just really trying hard to work it out how, you know, because as a it, like in in the traditional anatomy, you're trained in a certain way. And, and you know, you learn the bones first and then you learn the muscles and you learn the origin and insertion attachment. Like, so you're in that kind of like you go to school and you learn anatomy. There's a specific way that that's taught. And then in my years with you and John Sharkey and the fascial world, um, starting to see it from the other way around. And especially the way that you walk us through the embryo and yeah, van der Waal walks us through that sort of, let's look at it from this perspective of oneness and wholeness and, and connectivity. And, and I was just really trying to work out like, how do I, how do I teach this and include it all? Cause it's not like this one's right and this one's wrong and this one's wrong and this one's right. It's like, well, they, they all have their place, but how do I get it across? So that's how I came up with like this idea. My mom and I were actually going to a, a ship, like a, a museum. And it's like, it, it just made me think of how to, oh, this is how I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll walk my students through it as though I'm walking them through a history museum. And, and so then we can still include all the pieces. So we can include, we, you know, go into the first floor of the museum and here's the history of an, of anatomy. Here's how it came about. And you teach that so well. And then we can go up a couple floors and look at, here's how it was taught in the 1950s and here's how it was taught in the 1980s and 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 look at you know what's being taught now and and here's what happened when fascia what was it called anatomy trains entered the scene and started looking at continuities and here's what happened now when when biotensegrity came into the picture and now fascia integrity is coming into the picture and I'm seeing it all as this evolution of a story mm. of anatomy as as it started as it progressed and and also I love to include to my students where it might be going you know what and and you're so beautiful at describing that because I think that's maybe the most exciting part not that we can ever know (laughs) how it'll all end up in the future but (laughs) yeah we're our children's food right we're both single mothers of boys and it's like yeah yeah what's going to happen next I have no idea but um I didn't mean that to mean anything. It's just that I think, you know, your son has taken on some sort of physical training. My son has got a master's degree in sports and exercise science. So I've seen my son go through university and all the depths of biomechanics and function. And then he comes home and he talks to me like, mom, you know about biomechanics? Yeah. What is it? Well, how, how which planes am I using when I throw a rugby ball? I've got a question for my, you know, my homework, my degree homework. And I was like, well, do it. And he said, well, what do you mean do it? Like, what's that got to do with anything? I'm learning this on paper. And I said, you're not learning this on paper, sweetheart. You, you are in the sense that you're at university and you've got to pass an exam. 
But what use is that to you if you can't physiologically express it through your beingness as a moving human? Mm. Bonkers. And then he said to me, what do you mean? I said, Ben, do it. Pretend in front of me, mime throwing a rugby ball and tell me which planes, you know, coronal, sagittal, transverse plane. (laughs) And he did it in front of me. Mm. And then he just looked at me and he he was totally confused, of course. And he said, well, it, it wasn't really about planes. It was kind of spiral. And I was like, oh, my God, the future. I was so excited. Right. I love that. And I just said, this is so brilliant. This is, this is tensegrity. This is the living Mm -hmm. body. This is the, and he just looked at me and he went, mom, whatever you say next, I've got to say to my anatomy professor. (laughs) And he came over and he shut his books and he went, do you know what? It's okay. And he, he never asked me another question until he got to his final. And I just wonder if, you know, you've got Ethan and I think he's doing, he's studying body work, right? And he's actually switched, but there was a, there was a few years there where, yes, he was. Yeah. And so so that future fascinates me. That's why I bring it up because I think there's a long, 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 long way to go before we're teaching an anatomy that fully makes sense of living beings because it was so segregated historically body and being separated and because we're trying to bring in the beingness and it comes under the category of spirituality or it's evolving into consciousness we're only ever conscious but what i think you've done with this museum metaphor that's so so powerful in the progress and process of us being tomorrow's food because let's face it that's what we are is that you've allowed everybody to see the evolution of anatomy as all relevant, all yes, that's it. He all mm-hmm. worth learning. Nobody's wrong for learning the origins and insertions. But what happened when you came to Dundee and discovered that there weren't any? <laughs> well, I I kind of already suspected what I was going to see because I'd been studying with you for so many years. <laughs> So, but just to, I, to, yeah, it it was huge confirmation in what was a embodied knowing of continuity, of wholeness, of systems. And it's the way that I think and see anyway. So that Dundee experience was just a huge validation and confirmation of the human form as nature. It, you know, and and I like to tell the story too of how that summer that I came to Dundee, I'd been hiking. I, I was training for a really big hike, and I'd been hiking a lot. And when you're on a really, really, really long hike, it it you start to really see the patterns in nature, and nature talks to you, and you're just so immersed in fullness and and like the fractals everywhere and and so much beauty and when I came to Dundee and started looking at the body in that same way it just it was undeniable for me the the body is that same that same nature that's you know wholeness oneness systems within systems within systems and And, yeah and I know one of the things that you shared with me at the time was how the map and the territory are so different and somehow fascitegrity merges and gives access to that territory, right? Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's right. We had that beautiful conversation about 
you know, map maps and map layers. And I was yeah. like, use that, that, that too. And in, cause in hiking, you'll, you know, download map layers so that you can yeah. have a GPS and a, and a topo layer so you can see how steep it is. And I was, I've, I've always looked at your teaching and my teaching as map layers as mm. we have, you know, yoga is a, is a map layer and fascia integrity is a map layer and even even the old anatomy is a layer that sometimes it's helpful to remove it and sometimes it's helpful to put it in and 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 see where it fits into the the complete picture but that that what you're talking what you're touching on with the territory though this is so huge and what you're even what you shared with your son which is my languaging for that is the embodiment mm. And from a Hakomi point of view, we would we talk a lot about the your direct embodied, like your your experience of a thing, your moment by moment direct, you know, looking inward with curiosity and and the recognition. This is my embodied knowing in this moment, and the the shift from our kind of left brain linear cognitive narrative story to that direct present moment I'm just here and and let me describe what my experience is like that can be a really big shift and they're both valuable but it's often under um under talked about like it's it, it seems to get skipped over a lot that factoring in but what's my embodied experience in this moment like what do it's- I yeah. So crucial what you're saying. And I think one of the things that, and I have to give John Sharkey credit for this because of his knowledge of clinical anatomy, exercise physiology, neuromuscular therapy as a therapy. Like, how do you make this make sense to someone? And in between that, how do you teach someone else how to make sense of that for someone? Because this is somebody something I want to talk about with you, about how you impart this wisdom to others to see it mm. animated. And it, this doesn't give us a license to make it up as we go along. It's what it is, I think, is the difference between the postcode and the accommodation, mm-hmm. that everyone has their individual accommodation. And having origins and insertions, which are actually a metaphor, they're a metaphor. They're not a fact. When you've done the level of dissection <laughs> that you, you get right. to when you on, see it, it's, yeah, it's just, <laughs> oh. and And the thing is, you know, people, I I keep hearing people saying they've discovered this and they've discovered that. The thing about working with a clinical anatomist, and you got a flavor of this because we talked about it at the time, and we had um, Yelp van der Waal there, who is also an anatomist and and an embryologist. You know, he he brings, so we had between the two of them, we've got an exercise physiologist, two clinical anatomists, and a an embryologist. And it was just like, well, hang on a second. I mean, it was mind blowing, right? It was mind blowing. It really was. And it was, they didn't want to blind us with science, but the depth and detail uh, as anatomy teachers who qualify doctors to become surgeons. Yeah. Is at a level that a lot of us dissecting don't even begin to recognize yeah what we were asking them to do was language for us how we translate that into movement and they both said the same thing they both said you're not surgeons you don't need to know the names of absolutely everything you need to understand the connections and the integrations and the expressions and one of the things that I think we've talked about a lot is how the biomechanical language 
which excludes that perception that you talked about, that interoceptive Mm-hmm. soft awareness of the felt sense at the moment of time that it's experienced. That language can preclude us as if the functional analysis of bending moments, pendulums, levers, planes, as if those are workable terminologies for a natural being. How, how, do, we, how do we translate that without segregating them and having either or? And I think what your museum does is it says to people, go ahead and learn your origins and insertions and then come and see that variation is the master theme and muscles don't work like that. And they're not detached anywhere. They're attached to each other. And they're not necessarily, I mean, we we were just, you were looking at the vagus nerve, right? I remember this. You were oh, looking at the vagus nerve. Like it was actually a spiritual experience for me. It was a spiritual experience. <laughs> we'll go to that in a second. But underneath sternocleidomastoid mm-hmm. and, and following it down to where it's supposed to attach at the sternoclavicular joint at the top of the breastbone, which it didn't ever. We didn't find yeah. a single attachment there. That was it amazing. And there's John smiling benignly at all of us going, yeah, that's right. It's part of a continuity. It's not actually attached to a bone very often, unless it is. Yeah. Can we, can we pick up and describe that? Um, No, did that because, you know, like for, for, for students of anatomy in the beginning years where you are learning it from picture books and, and, and let's use that one that, that John demonstrated because they'll show the FCM in the diagram and they, they actually will depict it with an artist's rendition of the attachment at the clavicle. Hold, I'm going to say SCM yeah. for those of you that don't know, yes, is please. the short version of sternocleidomastoid, which is yes. the great big muscle. If you turn your head away yeah, from like, the to the right, you'll see it going from just behind your ear to the top of your breastbone in a thick line. It's a, it's, it's you huge. You may like pop out. <laughs> Well, you're do, you're, Christine's doing a brilliant demonstration, but those of you on audio won't see. But just don't worry about it. It's a big muscle either side of your neck. Go ahead. And so when you're learning that sort of early years of, at least in, in massage therapy school, in those sort of early chapters, you know, you learn your bones and then you learn your muscles and, in, and you're learning from picture books. And so there's these depictions of here's where it attaches and and it's drawn out so you can see the muscle kind of become the tendon and then you see where it attaches to the bone. And so it, what was really mind blowing for me is that because I also am a lover of neuroscience, so I have to bring in the dress in a moment. But so because you're expecting that and, and that's the that's what you've learned. And so that's how you think it works in your in your mind. And you have that particular context and framework of this or originates here and it attaches here and then john does this demonstration where he where he where he removed the clavicle bone completely cut the bone took it out to show the continuity between this scm into the pack and where else pectoralis major we're all talking about now the next big muscle on the front of the chest go on and then put his um was it a hemostat? I think he yep. put underneath to lift it to sh- to to show this. This is one 
fascial soft tissue continuity that goes, you know, and, and, and we would just follow it and follow it and follow it. And the bone had nothing to do with it. When, when the bone was gone, <laughs> everything. <laughs> so it's like, let's take this whole thing away. And so that you can see what it's not doing, which is it's not attaching to the bone. And if I take the bone away now, I can see that it's not doing that. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I'm, that's just such a beautiful story for me, but can I go into the dress Please. a little bit? Because it's, um, do you remember the dress? It was this big social media, somebody posted a photograph of a dress that was blue and black to them. And all these people like, what are you talking about? This dress is white. Like, are you serious? What are you, are you, are you messing with us? Like, this is a white dress. And then all these people started tweeting, wait a minute, it's blue. No, it's white. No, it's blue. No, it's white. Do you remember this? And it was this huge thing. And nobody knew what what color the dress actually was <laughs> until, you know, event, like they figured it out. It was, okay, it's actually a blue dress. It's, it's blue and black. And so all these neuroscience people were coming in to say, what is going on with this? And what they realized is that it had to do with context. So if I looked at this photo, because the photo was cropped in such a way that I didn't have enough information, which this is the key. I didn't, my brain didn't have enough information. Is this person standing inside or outside? Is that a window or is that a light? And, and you don't have enough information. So the brain decided. So half of us went, that's a person inside. And, and then the artificial lighting filled in and it made the dress look white. The, the brains that said, no, that's a person standing outside. That, that's, a, that's a sunlight hitting it. Their brains made up that this dress was blue. And I just think this is such a wild example because it's all about context and what happens when we don't have the complete picture, when we don't have all the information that there that that we see it the way we see it like we we have to kind of fill in to make it make sense and so when i think about that all the drawings in the anatomy book and you know it attaches to a bone and so then everything about the body is kind of filled in and and because there wasn't a complete picture it's there was a whole bunch of things that had to get filled in for it to make sense but what's isn't this true, right? And so this is why I love the the uh, museum as an example because then we can say, but here's the thing: we can complete the picture, maybe not fully yet. We we have maybe a hundred some odd years to go, but we can fill in a lot more, and so we can get way bigger and more complete of a picture. Which means that now, you know, we have to kind of face that, oh, I really and truly saw that dress as white. I, I, you know, I'm a white dresser all the way. And so I had to kind of come up against and face the the truth, which is actually a blue dress. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's a bit of squishiness in there that went with like, you know, my crazy, what's wrong with me? But it was like, Did my eyes work? Is- yeah, do I need new glasses? I know. What's going on? <laughs> This is yeah. where one of John's phrases, I have to quote him, as I often do, um, is it the last word? And this is ah. where, you know, Padua University in Italy, where the very first real human dissection was publicly done by Vesalius centuries ago, is where they had closed the anatomy archives, that there was nothing more that could be discovered. 
Wow. Without realizing, and this is exactly what you're speaking to, without realizing the fascia had been removed in order to identify the parts. Yeah. And in the absence of the fascia, those parts are almost, as Carla Stecco said on Friday night, an artifact. Now, Professor Carla Stecco has been invited to Padua University and given access to the archives to distinguish and name the fascia or fasciae, which in itself causes a problem because it's in one continuity. And if you talk to Jörg van der Waal or you talk to John, we're talking about something that's continuous. How can you talk about one continuous thing as things? By definition, it's single. It's a single continuity. The one and the all are the same. Mm -hmm. And this is really fascinating to me because you know, we both study different aspects of spirituality, but this is such a key fundamental tenet of any spiritual study yeah. is the idea yeah. that the one and the all are the same. And fascia embodies that. It really does. It yeah. really does. And so it's like, well, hang on a second. So let's celebrate the fact that the anatomy archives have been opened because it's not the last word. Yeah. And Carla Stecco is so meticulous and brilliant in her studies and observations yeah but as she said even if we just look at the fascia and don't take the muscles and the bones into consideration we're creating a different artifact that was a very powerful statement and it's one that john has made in the past when he did the um the render the 3d render oh i love that And he said, careful, you've taken the bones and the muscles away. So this is just as much an artifact on its own as the bones and muscles are on their own. We are looking at unifying. Yes. You know, and it was, ah, yeah, that was when we met in Vancouver. But it was so amazing to hold that render in my hands and actually look at it after so many years of learning anatomy from picture books on the other side. And it's like that idea of the complete picture. So I I had never seen this one, this side before in that particular way. I'd always seen it on the side of, well, if we were looking at the thigh, I'd always seen the images of, you know, here's where the psoas is. Let's look at the four quadriceps and where, you know, as, as separate little individual bands and and then there's that picture in my mind of that's what a thigh that's the picture of the thigh and then John creates this 3d is it was it a 3d printed he 3d printed it yeah 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 it was amazing so amazing and taking out every single muscle and was the bone in there too or it was the bone yeah. removed as well no, the bones there the bone is in the, the femur is in the middle it's just the muscle the surrounding pockets out. but it's yeah it's uh it's it basically it's down to how finely they can render the mri it's a mri of a real living woman's leg and basically the um if you imagine inside each of the rings that represents the sheath around the muscle tube if you think of it like that is it's exactly the same pattern within that at a finer level. They just couldn't render at that uh, detail. Oh, yeah. So it's actually fractal. It's a yeah. fractal presentation I of the human Yeah. I'll have to find a way to include this image for everyone listening the, of the. God knows how I'm going to do it. I've got, I've got it. I've got the image. So I think I've, I've just got to get I've got a photograph. I took photographs of it. Um, 
But yeah, so I, I feel like it's it, you know, I remember John saying when he was showing that that you know it's still it's still wrong in the sense that it's incomplete. We're looking at an incomplete picture. And over here we were looking at an incomplete picture. But this is the kind of wrong that's useful because it's been missed. Yeah. And so it's filling in something and helping our brains make sense of what it looks like completely the other way around. And it's just, it's so great. Yeah. I would love for your people to see that. To see the I will, I will put a newsletter out with this podcast for you, Christine, and I will include a photograph of you and a picture of the thigh, the, yeah. the render. Because it's it's just completely fascinating, and when you when you acknowledge what was removed in order to create clean dissection, was in fact the continuity itself. So yeah. we broke continuity down into parts, and then extrapolated and theorized and metaphored, if there's such a verb to metaphor, our way into what has become law, biomechanical law, and we we, we made some mistakes. Mm-hmm. We made some mistakes. Yeah, and I think like and it, and it really makes sense to me from from like just the 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 small amount of understanding I have how the human brain works. It makes a lot of sense to me with how relevant context is to mm-hmm. to how our brain perceives. The world around us, and and when I think back to the 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 early early stories of them trying to make sense of the body without having enough information, it makes sense that they would compare that elbow to a second class lever or <clears throat> whatever the different lever systems are, because it because there wasn't there wasn't enough information to to look at it as a fractal and as a you know, multifactorial system and I don't know, even dimensional. Yeah, multidimensional, yeah. omnidirectional. And this omnidirectional. is omnidirectional. Exactly. And the thing is also remember the context of that historical time, which is mostly Borelli's work, the context was the industrial revolution, the man-made machine. Yes. Right. And this is where sure. you come in with your spiritual teaching is that nature was considered to be anything that wasn't man-made. And by implication, man was divorced from nature, the nature of beingness, because the being was put under the segregation of the church, segregated under the jurisdiction of the church, and the body was put under the jurisdiction of science. So science and spirituality was segregated. The body was segregated from the being. Right. Yeah. And mechanics became the foundation of the body's scientific segregate, if there's such a thing, because that was its context. Now our context is not the industrial revolution, it's the technological revolution. Yeah. And it's also the energy revolution. You know, Carolyn Mace talks about the moment the um, atomic bomb was designed, we entered the age of energy at every level. Because we've now created something, the deployment of which will destroy the planet that we're trying to have power over. 
that's just mind-blowing that idea it really is it is too it's too big for me that idea it's like you know I've been listening I've been a a student and a you know of of Carolyn Mason a graduate of her institute for for 20 years now and I love her work I think it's absolutely beautiful and she completely inspired me to recognize these distinctions as context for our ideas. And if you take it now to the level that we're at of artificial intelligence, we're actually saying it's artificial, it's not real, it's not natural, but actually some of it is empowered by the the technology that we use every day on our smartphones and our tablets. Every single day we interact with them haptically. It's called haptics, right? How they respond to us, the screens respond to us. Well, our fascial matrix is the source of haptic perception. Wow. Now, we can't explain haptic perception with biomechanics mm. because biomechanical context is the industrial revolution and haptic context is the technological revolution. So what you're saying is absolutely brilliant. The context is redefining the content it absolutely is. And this is what Neil Thies talks about, about the interstitium in his, his book on complexity theory, which is utterly brilliant and very newly about to be published. I can't wait to it. It's not ready. I can, oh. <laughs> what I love is with all that awareness, you're sitting grinning at me. I don't, those of you, when we get to put this on YouTube, I'm so excited because Christine just sits there like, I'm delighted to being and delighted and excited <laughs> is that you managed to translate this into your myofascial yoga institute and teach it as an expression not just of the physical practices but what I love about what you do is the what I call the bioemotional awareness the bioemotional medicine the trauma informed trust and what do I want to call it? I don't want to categorize it. The spiritual practice of making that practical. Yeah. Like, I guess, what, what would we call it? I I'm just thinking of it in terms of, of complete, um, trying to complete pieces that have been incomplete because like, I don't necessarily think the non-trauma informed ways are wrong or it, it, how, how I'm seeing it in, in what I'm trying to do in my school is look at places where information has been incomplete or has been missing context and try to address those missing pieces mm-hmm. to fill in a more complete picture. And so some of the things I think that that get kind of under addressed or under talked about in the in the world of even just like movement is gentleness and subtleness and mindfulness and and having that be included in the ways that we move. And when it comes to trauma-informed, this piece about the machine is really, really, really big. Because if if my assumption is that my body is a machine and therefore it can break, and therefore there can be something fundamentally wrong with it, and therefore it has to be fixed, I have those assumptions operating in my system. And so when I feel bad, it's it's running through the filter of that so it like it's relevant to our mental health to our emotional health to like my overall like even question of who am I and if I start to 
fill that in with a new context and say, what if the body is nature? What if it's fractal intelligence? What if it's self-assembled? What if it's a self-organizing system that is full and complete? And what if it's self-correcting? And 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 bring those questions in to just really contemplate. And the framework of all those layers starts to shift. Like who I am mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like and and how I approach movement and, yeah. and even how I language you know different thing like how how we talk how we talk in in manual therapy land like my knee is wearing out or or just those little those little things oh, the just, little narratives that are just all just, over in there <laughs> it's like yeah. like the idea that somebody has osteoporosis their bones are crumbling and you immediately yeah. have a vision of a yeah. of a standard architecture in a yeah. house that's got a right angle to it. And if the wall starts crumbling, what's going to happen? It's not that. It's it's a different, if we could shift into a different way of languaging yeah. the tensional integrity or the tension compressional integrity, the fascia integrity of the body. Yeah. I'm not saying we can transform osteoporosis and I've seen it changed. I've seen it transformed yeah. in that the can we approach... touch on that a little bit too because that's a, that's a huge one say that again Sorry. well can we touch a little bit on that like it's like I see this one as as similar to the dress yeah. where because there's this paradigm or there's the model or this way of understanding that it could be possible for bone on bone to be a thing where because my clients say this to me all the time like I've been told it's bone on bone and things are grinding la 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 which no, not to say that yeah that is a pathology. pathology but 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 what happens when instead of looking at just zeroing in on the bone and, and the joint and what's wrong what happens when we shift our focus to the whole body and the and, and the whole system and bringing back a integrity of tension compression balance within the whole body like what happens to that one joint like when when we work the whole body and we and we work the whole fascial system and i think like that's that's that shift over to it's a blue dress like when we're looking at it from uh symptoms and pathologies and single parts or or let's like his old physio is not to this old physio it's just i think it's incomplete but like, because there's a zeroing in on the the pathology itself. Here's this joint that's gone wrong. And here are the exercises for this joint. And here's the treatment for this joint. And, and there's nothing about the whole, looking at the whole system, the whole body and, and re, you know, just, just facilitating, would integrity be the word there? reviewing is what you're doing and and yeah. what you said is brilliant and it brings up many many things let's be really clear osteoporosis is not something any of us want and by the time we've reached different levels of it and it's very individual to everybody it's you know it's different scales different um different impacts yeah, different yeah, yeah. reasons it, you know it can be the biochemical element it's got a a movement aspect to it. It's got an hereditary aspect to it. There's all sorts of us. So I don't want to just treat it as a thing because again, yeah, context, context, context. Yeah. 
Mm. However, one of the myths that we've inherited in the biomechanical world is the idea that bones touch each other and bones are stacked. That's incorrect. Yeah. Unless it's a pathology. So if you see the body as a tension compression network, whereby the bones are not touching each other and they are the um they're not necessarily the compression element but they're seen as the compression element the compression element is co-creating the tensional element which is co-creating the compressional element which gives us the unifying sum of both which means there's three things at play all the time so just let that blow your mind or leave you baffled or whatever but that's what's true so we're not stacked it's a bit like saying an open umbrella is stacked Oh, that's a good Excuse one. Excuse me? That's perfect. Yeah. Exactly. So mm-hmm. when you open an umbrella, you've created a tension ne- tension compression network of a sort. You can't even begin to imagine that in 360 degrees, but you've created something like a hemisphere mm-hmm. with tensional elements. Yeah, this is perfect. And the and compressional elements. And they swap in the body, in the living body, they switch. So this is like, it's complex yeah. because the body's complex. But yeah, well, the umbrella is perfect because if you look the at- The umbrella is perfect. And, and, and now imagine an umbrella in 3D and then try to imagine an umbrella in like 5D, like you can't, but- <laughs> yeah, Hello. <laughs> so, so level exactly. of complexity, we're looking at. <laughs> exactly. So when you think about, uh, and be careful with this because mm-hmm. an umbrella is- a tension compression structure, not strictly a, it gets complicated. It does. And the problem because with people the start looking at sails on boats, they say that a sail on a boat is 10 seconds. No, it's not. It's tension compression. They're different yeah. because they require anchors and they require um other attachments but let's just say imagine the tensional network of an umbrella imagine that so don't forget we're talking about in a context of osteoporosis there is an aspect of it that isn't stacked which means that the stacking is bone on bone or that the bone is crumbling it may mean there is weakness mm-hmm And it may mean there is a relative adaptability required. But here's the thing. If that adaptability is undertaken through the whole system, it is possible to change over time the relationship of forces through the weakest point. That's it. It's become that way. While there's a model in the head, in the mind, in the books, in the cartoons, which, by the way, usually show bones stacked or overlapping. Yeah. Sorry, that's really serious pathology. Is the omission of, for example, ligamentous integrity. Ligaments hold bones apart to fill the skin. Yeah. So. And we're entering really tricky territory here because yeah. the Art of Wonderval would have us call them dynamants. And there's really good 
really good science behind that statement. And he goes on to say that there are no true, sorry, resay. There are only six true ligaments in the body if we define ligaments as only connecting bone to bone. Oh, wow. They are the nuchal ligaments and the cruciate ligaments. They genuinely only attach to bones. All the other ligaments have much more complex organization with the joint capsule, with the cartilage, with the, um, I'm not saying the cruciate ligaments and the nuchal ligaments don't have cartilaginous interfaces. Of course they do. But what Yarp is trying to get us to think about is he's not saying there are no ligaments in the body. He's not saying there are only six ligaments in the body. He's not saying that. Professor Carrie Davis challenged me on that. That's not what I said in quoting Yarp van der Waal. Hmm. What Yarp is doing is encouraging us to consider that the whole joint can't be segregated into its component parts successfully if we are to find a context to emphasize your point of understanding. Wow. We understand it as a dynamentous bed designed to transmit forces through joints. Yeah. Which facilitate folding. And I really think that's the key too in, you know, the 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 way that forces move through <laughs> is it's so when we go back to the umbrella, and if I look at a if I look at a umbrella that hasn't been opened, and then we imagine, or or have you ever had the umbrella that kind of like pops down, you know, mm-hmm. and then you, and the way that the wind interacts. Absolutely. So we look at the umbrella. It's a great little example because the for if we say the wind is the force that's moving through it, and we have it in integrity. And it's and it's opened in that even way that it's kind of meant to be opened, and the way that the rain and the wind moves through it, or around it, yeah, is if it's not open all the way, or if it went, if it like it kind of popped too far and it did that like foldy anything, and it's very scientific explanation. But that's how I that's what I think when we go back to like osteoporosis or different pathologies and we're looking at what are the forces that are moving through those joints. We look at the loads that we experience in our day. The the when I walk down the street, there's forces moving through my legs. So if if is there a way to take the umbrella now and bring it into (laughs) and it, you know, we might have to with the caveat that it's not going to be 100% scientifically accurate because we're mo- we're using metaphors. It's just getting us uh, closer. Just as a way to explain yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. To, it's to getting us closer. Yeah, yeah. To help people envision it. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what, what we, what we do with the umbrella is that the bit that we see is that the, me- the, I see, I was about to say the mechanism, the functional architecture of the umbrella is such I really struggle with this word mechanism because we've made it mean that it's okay to just stick bio in front of everything and then it's living, which would give me the license to say, well, it's a bio umbrella. It's an example of, I mean, give me a break. That's ridiculous. But by the same token, there are no levers in nonlinear biologic forms. And yet we've adopted first, second and third class levers. And you'd get any qualified biomechanist giving me a really hard time because I'm not qualified. And I'm I'm going to say to them, sorry. You find an engineer with a proper definition of a lever that can find me one in the human body and we'll have a chat, but I'm not Pinocchio. And as you said, I'm self-weaving, I'm self-organizing, I'm self, I self-organized my architecture. 
You yeah. didn't, nobody came in and bolted anything on with a pin. Nobody put any two bar open chains in me. There aren't any. It, it, you know, it's really tricky. This, I mean, I'm digressing here, but it, it is really tricky to remove the languaging of the mechanical paradigm out yep. of our everyday speak. Is, but this is a, this could be a spiritual practice to track in your day how many times. <laughs> How many times did you struggle? It's so automatic. Yeah, it's so automatic. It's it's so immersed in the way we've learned everything that it's like it, you know, it is it is like pulling those individual muscle proteins out to create the 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 you know in that what was the fascia the big fascia thing that they did like body worlds but it was fashion. Anyway, they like they had to like remove each muscle, very. Oh, each muscle fiber. Yeah. Yeah. In order to create the fashion fashion models. This is exactly going back to what John did with the render. They were trying to do exactly that, but at the next level down. Yeah. So that the next fractal uh, scale. Yeah. And so what I think is happening is we're trying to do that now, but on the level of the mind and the psyche and the, to, to remove the concept of anything mechanical applied to nature. And and we even apply it to nature, nature. Like we we have languaging around mechanism and those types of wording is, is even applied to natural structures. So it's it's just it's so embedded. So as a challenge, all your viewers, just your viewers and listeners, just track yourself for a day. And I couldn't and, agree more. Even you know, but just observe how frequently it comes up in conversation as just everyday languaging. It's really quite fascinating. It's scary because I, I mean, I'm the one that goes around saying there's nothing mechanical about the body. I actually think the mind is capable of working more mechanically than the body does. That's another whole level of discussion. But what I, what I'm putting out here now is that we are oriented around this at level that even we talk about our sensory awareness in terms of mechanoreception. Yeah. What is that about? I was trying to write about motor nerves and sensory nerves. They're separated. Yeah. I was trying to to work out like, how do I phrase mechanical input without saying mechanical? It was really, it was a fun challenge for me, actually. I I, I don't know what to say. It's a brilliant idea because it's like, well, hang on a minute, because we talk about movement as the locomotor system. What was the foundation in the Industrial Revolution? The first thing they did with a five-bar mechanism was a locomotive, a train. And the way they got all the wheels to join up, wheels around things, by the way, listeners, wheels are round things. We are round things, but wheels are a cross-section of a sphere. Mm-hmm. That's where we're all struggling because we're trying to reduce everything down to its cross section at least. Anyway, another thing. But that was a five bar mechanism where you had a steam engine at the front that could drive carriages behind it. This is a really important part of the evolution. Before we technologically advanced from the industrial revolution, but at the very least, even way back then with the earliest locomotives, those five bar continuous mechanisms Mm. make much more sense of how the body organizes the locomotor system. But what we've done is what is called reductionism, right? We keep reducing it down to simpler and simpler component parts. So a lever was a natural reduction from a five-bar locomotive system because nobody could find the five bars. Yeah. 
I mean, so can I can I just kind of riff off of you for a minute yeah, here? Because I, you know, it's kind of bringing me back to what you were saying in the very beginning about the collaborative nature. And what, because I've studied several different fields in my career and gone, you know, down various different rabbit holes. And what I really notice is that in particular in the medical fields, that because there's so much to each and every one of these topics, I can spend an entire lifetime on neuroscience. I can spend an entire lifetime on biology and still not and and just be completely in my little box and and not and not focus on anything else because there's so much in that one box and it would take me forever to learn it all and what i propose is missing in that picture is the collaborative nature is that we need to bring our minds together and have the neuroscience people talking to the mathematic people who are talking to the physics people who are talking to the biology people who are talking to the philosophy people. <laughs> and and then we can get closer to bringing in this as a whole picture. <laughs> well, the thing is, this is, uh, you've actually iterated, as, as you well know, John Sharkey's vision for when we're learning the dissection. That's why he brought Jean-Claude Gamberteau and Jacques van der Waal and Neil Thies into the room, because Neil was studying all his pathology from a pathologist's point of view. And he put out the paper on the interstitium and knew nothing about the International Fascia Research Congress. Yeah. You know about it. And I so when, I think John, John Sharkey and, and Robert Schleip were in a conversation and John was like, let's get him in, let's get him in. And Robert went straight out and, you know, literally pulled Neil in. And Neil is so generous because there was a time when you read Candace Pert, if you've read Candace Pert's Molecules of Emotion, which is just a wonderful book. And can we also put about- a plug in for Neil Thies? Like, because, oh, you know, Always. Me, this, this man is, he's, he's genius. He's so, so intelligent and yet so humble and so yet kind. so grounded and oh. so kind. Like, can we all just love him up for a minute? <laughs> and ever. I mean, I just adore him. And he, what he's so generous about, actually, you know what he's so generous about is his time. You know, we, we were in Ohio in November last year and we invited Neil to come and do a presentation as we've done in Dundee. He shows up and stays. He just doesn't go anywhere. And John also brought um, Glenn Gordet to see us about the about the work that's being done for the heart using spinach leaves, the skeleton of spinach leaves, the um, decellularization of spinach leaves, using mm-hmm. it as a, a fabric. Another whole fascinating story. But okay, when we'll and Neil, when he and Neil started sharing slides and discussing the implications of what they were reading, you talk about a bid for cross-pollination. Oh my goodness me. Right. It was absolutely unbelievable. And you know, with networkers out there like like John Sharkey, like Robert Schleip, bringing all these different worlds together. And, you know, that none of them are looking for I'm the hero. Each no, one is looking not. to weave together this whole mesh that yeah. we are such a part of. And yeah. it's that generosity of spirit and dissemination that we absolutely count on. And you bring together in your school with the cross-pollination of different teachers from different fields. You know, Carol is a, is a physiologist. She was professor of physiology at Miami University. And bringing that together with the 
spirituality, the different branches of your own work. I know you're a movement and a manual therapist and trauma-informed specialist and, and, and. It's this weaving. And on that note, as we finish up, I want to say to you, you practice what you preach, Christine, and it is a privilege to work with you in your collaborative piece in this whole fractal makeup because anybody who studies 200 hour or 500 hour yoga teach training with you gets this magical mix from so many different protagonists to animate the adaptability that we're all asking ourselves to understand and promote oh thank you and yeah, I really see that that's the way, you know, that um, this collaborative approach is the, it, we're going to get closer and closer to painting more and more complete pictures, the more minds and perspectives we can bring in and teach as a collective and say, here's what this looks like from the trauma side of things. Here's what this looks like from the neuroscience side of things. And, and then, you know, by the end of 500 hours, we have a, a more complete picture we're, we're closer to the blue dress. <laughs> but I did want to say that too, because I know this is one thing you speak of, is that we're in the middle of a paradigm shift. And that's what makes all of this so huge, is that we're shifting from this white dress model to, oh my goodness, it's been blue the whole time. I just was, what? Are you kidding me? We've been whole this whole time. We've been self-assembling, self-organizing, self-correcting, nature this whole time <laughs> there's never been anything wrong <laughs> there's never been anything wrong with you and you know yarp has even invited us to let go of the term self-assembly because it sounds like an assembly line oh see there's one there's one so it's, it's like you know john and i looked at each other and went oh holy crap we've been self-assembled because Donald another major name in the field is just done this beautiful work on tensegrity at every scale within the cell, around the cell, the cell to the organ, the organ to the organism. And it's just fascinating. And then Yelp says self-assembly sounds like an assembly line. And you're like, oh, Oh, man. (laughs) It does. And then it's like manufacturing. And then then we start getting into a real pickle. So what perhaps we finish up with is the recognition that we talked about through the middle of this, that we are multidimensional. We are omnidirectional. Mm-hmm. We are whole and complete. Yeah. We are whole and complete. That's a perfect. Yeah. yeah perfect. We never are not. We never <laughs> are not. And all yeah. the rest is just conversation. And, mm-hmm. and I'm so grateful to have that conversation with you. And I love you. I love you too. Thank you. Oh. I, it's such a pleasure to have you as part of my school and, and add your insight and your perspectives. And it's just, I can't even express how grateful I am. So great. Gotcha. Back at you, my friend. Thank you. 